This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. Let's start with the present. Who you are today, what you're doing these days, what you're known for, and we'll kind of work backwards from there. Yeah, absolutely, man. So my job title is a human optimization expert. Um, I deal in all things biohacking, human optimization. My background is really in physical health, but I realized quickly doing physical health that it was more about mental health. Um, and that's what I love doing. I love mental peak performance coaching, working with entrepreneurs, executives, um, had a pro, pro athlete moths today. I love working with high performers and high achievers um, that just, they, they're here and they want to get here. Um, but that being said, I still do like a mind, body, soul approach. Like you have to have all three, in my opinion, to progress in life. And I'm doing a lot of consulting right now in businesses um, and schools and stuff like that, just on leadership and culture. Um, so that's, that's where I'm at. I'm still, you know, doing my thing online, um, writing. Um, actually I contacted a guy today about a project I'm working on. So just moving forward, trying to put out as much positive content as we can right now, especially with everything going on. Very cool. Yeah. I, I guess I met you. Well, your, your first book, uh, struggle is real. Is that your first one? struggle is real. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I remember that actually already there was a huge overlap between physical and mental with the concepts uh, that you were bringing in there. What I loved about it was, I mean, it's all in the title, the idea of um, how difficult this is psychologically. Like it's all good to say, go eat well and exercise, but why do people struggle to do it so much? It's because there's right. so much more under the surface. So let's, um, let's rewind the clock a little bit before we start exploring your ideas. I'll put it this way. I know a little bit of your backstory and mm-hmm. I remember pictures of a much less fit guy, you know? Um, oh yeah. That tell guy. us a bit about your history, man. What's kind of been the crisis that led up to this work for you? Wow. So for me, I mean, it started when I, I literally came off the womb rolling, man. I was a fat baby, um, grew up fat my entire life. And I have, I have no problem saying that just cause like I've come to terms with that's how I grew up. And it just, it grew every year my eating addiction, emotional eating. Like I didn't know it at the time, but that's absolutely what I struggled with. Um, was a full out like a binge eating, emotional eating disorder. And I struggled with that. I mean, let's be honest, like I still struggle with that today, um, just from an addiction standpoint. But so I was overweight, borderline obese my entire life, ballooning up. So I played college American football. Um, and my senior year of football, I was 305 pounds. I think I got like 308 at one point, but I was kind of average like 305. Um, that was the biggest I ever got. And for me, I knew that it wasn't like my natural state to be. And I was always having to push myself to be that big. Um, my body didn't like it at all. I had so many injuries in college. They threatened to name the uh, medical room after me. I was in there so much. Um, so I've had six knee surgeries. I'm still missing a chunk of bone out of my shoulder. Yeah, man. Um, it's been extensive. And for me, I tell people all the time, when I was physically big, I thought that was my problem. But the problem was more internal than it was external. And I was always living according to what everybody else wanted me to be, and never who I wanted to be on the inside. <clears throat> because I was just growing up fat, like you're a natural people pleaser. You want to please everyone. You want to make friends because in your head, you're not going to do it on how you look. So you better do it with your personality and how nice you are to them. And that's how I grew up. So that's kind of what led me to being, you know, the college football star, all American, that whole, you know, American dream thing. And then getting out of college, just kind of condensed the story, getting out of college. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, man, to be honest with you. The physical toll that my body took was nothing compared to the mental beating that I took when I was in college. I was struggling with depression, anxiety. I was binge drinking three or four nights a week. I was taking painkillers every day just to play football. Um, I was doing all these things for the physical pain. And a lot of people who have had pain in their life, like physical pain, they know that when you live with that long enough, like it just wears you down mentally. And it will break you down. 
And that's where I got to, man. I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And of course, not being in the growth mindset on this personal growth journey that I'm on now, I was like, oh man, okay, well, let's lose the weight. That's always been your problem. Let's get rid of that. So I lost right at 105 pounds in a calendar year and didn't solve one issue I was dealing with. And pe people always, they correlate the two, like, you know, weight loss equals happiness. Like, no, that's not the case. For me, I lost the weight in 2006. Fast forward, really six years later, um, I was living the quote unquote American dream. I had a career, I, was, I owned a business, um, I had a fiance, I had my own place. I was living what, you know, is society success. And within a three month calendar time, uh, my business partner stole everything from me, left me dead broke. Me and my fiance called it quits. We were just oil and vinegar, but of course trying to please everyone around us instead of ourselves. And to top things off, Dan, my apartment that I was living in got broken into and everything on got stolen. <laughs> All within a three month time period. So that for me was absolute rock bottom moment. You know, I'm 20, let's see, I was 27 years old, moving back in with my parents just because I didn't have another choice. I didn't have a job, I didn't have income. I of course was depressed and I was dead broke. So I moved back with my parents and went into a dark depression to the point where there was numerous nights where I just, I was ready to be done. And suicidal thoughts were running through my head. Actually, it got to the point where when you've had as much sports injuries and surgeries as I've had, um, there's always painkillers around. And I literally had a brand new bottle of painkillers in my hand. And I was like, this is, this is it. Like, you tried at life, obviously you're not good enough. The pain has to stop. Like you can't keep going on like this. So I get to use down this bottle, man, and you're, you're good. And that literally was a thought that I played over and over my head numerous nights just because I was, I was tired of suffering, man. I was tired of trying and feeling like a failure. And that was that low point for me was kind of that rock bottom moment to really say, okay, like you've been a college football American, you have your master's in finance, like you've done all these things. Why has your life come down to this of you working 70, 80 hours a week in a job that you hate and you come home, you watch TV and you go to sleep and you do that six days a week. And on the seventh day, you do nothing but sleep. Like this is not life. This is not why you're put on this earth. This is not why you're here. And I started like that just kind of like turned a little light bulb moment in my head. And it was weird. Like there was actually a moment that it happened. I was laying in bed and I started thinking about like who I was made to be, like why I was put on this earth, the whole why me thing. And this fear kind of came over me of meeting the man that I was supposed to be and have him be a total stranger. Like that, it, it, it wasn't so much a fear of dying, it was a fear of not being, not being that person, not living up to who I was destined to be, not using my gifts. And like, it just scared the crap out of me. Like, hey, you have these gifts, you have this inside of you, you, you have to go use it. Um, and then from there, I just, I started making little minuscule decisions to literally like just scrap and crawl my way out of that like suicidal depression. And that's, that's probably where my real personal growth journey began. There's a lot of parallels uh, between you and I and other, other success stories, I guess. Um, I want to take actually that last point first. I have a name for that. Uh, call it the authenticity gap. And it's a sense of distance between who you are and who you know you're supposed to be. It's the thing that nobody else can tell you about. It's not who others think you're supposed to be, but just this kind of like, if you took all the stuff that you are strong in and condensed it, it would be this thing. And then you get a sense of what that thing is. And so you, you put it in a really interesting way of an actual guy that you would meet 
mm-hmm. you can kind of look look in the mirror and see him now and imagine you, you 10 years ago having to face up to you now and explain why you are the way you are. It'd be a very difficult conversation. It would be. It's interesting. I wonder how often that's kind of a spiritual metaphorical crisis that people really get to. It's not just how much life sucks, but who you are or who you aren't and the sense of that, the sense of like unfulfilled potential. That's really interesting. And and like, yeah, yeah what you're saying is, is so true. I, I felt like, and I think I just thought about this. I think me being a people pleaser in that moment was like, I felt like I was wasting something that had been given to me. Like you have these gifts and you're just wasting them. Like what, why, why are you not like good enough for these gifts that I've given you? Um, and I felt like I was letting someone down and it still was me people pleasing and still me seeking like external validation at that point. But that's, that was a gap that I had to close was going from the external to really who do you, who do you are, who you are and who you want to be. And really that internal validation, um, that you talk about so much. Yeah. That's an interesting way of putting it. Um, isn't that funny? Like, I can always imagine the title of this being something like if you're fat, it might be a people pleaser problem. Um, <laughs> you know, for me, I, I only just thought about this now talking to you. I had some hangups about physical appearance. Like I've always been really pale. And for some reason, my circle of friends getting a tan was a big deal. And that really sort of stuck with me a lot. Cause I'm just, it's not, I can't tan. Um, <laughs> It seems like a minor thing, but when you're a kid and you choose something to focus on, it becomes a big deal. The thing I resonated with you the most was that idea like, okay, I'm not going to be able to use my looks to please people. I have to find something else to do it. I can't use sporting ability very much. You know, I wasn't the master athlete, but I can be funny. I can be nice. There's these other ways I can do it. You, I think, have condensed. There's a kind of beauty to people pleasing which is when you turn it inwards and you try to please yourself, then you found the recipe essentially for what creates confidence is you go from trying to make other people happy or trying to impress other people, as I say, to impressing yourself. So it sounds like you finally hit the person you were disappointing the most, even though he was a metaphor of yourself and sort of an external thing was actually the gateway for you to like shift that, that energy from outward to inward. I want to get your opinion on something. You describe a lot of suffering, both mentally and physically. In your opinion, how important is suffering to success? Ooh, man, that's a deep one. Um, I think, you know, when you look at the psychology of it, a lot of people don't make changes in their life until they experience some kind of suffering. You know, pain is an unbelievable motivator. And I, I do think it's like the other half of the motivation equation is the getting away from pain. So motivation is seeking pleasure, but also escaping pain. And I think that, you know, with something like hedonic adaptation, how do you know how good things are until you know how bad things are? And having a certain, me and one of my business partners talk about this all the time, by going through suffering, you're almost like in a state of I would say you're more likely to be in a state of gratitude because you've been through suffering. And, you know, like Gary Vee talks about it, having that immigrant mentality. I think that's kind of what he's saying there is once you know suffering, you know how good you really have it. Um, so it, it helps put me in a state of gratitude. And one of the things that, you know, I tell my clients, I even got on my mom about this last week. I was like, do you realize what you're complaining about right now? Like how many people would love to have that problem that you're complaining about right now? So I think it just gives you a different perspective on how you look at it. And you know, as well as I do, perspective drives performance. Yeah, I think a lot of people won't understand just how significant those last three words you just said, uh, perspective <laughs> drives performance. Um, because as much as you're saying, you know, you're talking about that, like you said, what you thought was physical was really mental. It's that same element as how, how you see things determines how much you're going to suffer essentially and, mm-hmm. and then it creates it right so if i see myself as a loser and i overeat i make myself more of a loser i'm just like building that kind of thing oh it's um, definitely a spiral oh yeah yeah definitely obviously 
all you need to do now is look at you, get a sense of your energy. I've met you in person at least once, I think, and we've been online a couple of times. The guy you just described, that historical guy, does not line up with the guy you are now. It's, it's almost hard to believe. So obviously you've figured something out. Let's dive into it. I know this is a huge question. We might have to just slowly like unpack it. <laughs> okay. But what's the secret? What's the fundamentals to the difference between the guy you described and the guy that we're seeing now? Yeah, and kind of to tell you how dramatic that point is you just made, when people meet me now, they don't believe who I was. I get the they don't thing, believe yeah. I was the shy introvert, hide behind his mom's leg in the mall fat kid. Um, and like, that's still kind of intrinsically who I'm naturally, you know, I am at times. I still love my cave time. I still love my alone time. This whole quarantine thing is not really bothering me too bad. Um, but to answer your question, it goes back to your ability to control free will and your, your self-worth. And for me, growing up trying to please everyone and always living up to everyone else's expectations of me, not my own, I didn't have any free will in my life. I only lived according to what I thought everybody else wanted me to be. So free will, just throw that out the picture because it, it was not me making decisions, it was everyone else making my decisions. Um, so I had to kind of make that paradigm shift to saying, okay, I do have free will. I am in charge of my life. And it, it takes a certain amount of personal accountability to realize I am where I'm at because of me. But, but I think the number one sticking point and the reason people never take that leap is they don't believe they can. They don't have the confidence. So what I had to do was I had to kind of start habit stacking to build confidence. The first promise I made to myself when I was, you know, near suicidal was you've got to stop this. Like you've got to, you've got to course correct. And we don't know what we're doing, but let's do this. The gym has always been kind of a sanctuary for you. So, okay, let's just start showing up to the gym. I don't care if you work out. I don't care if you spend five minutes, an hour, but you're going to get dressed and you're going to walk through the door. And I made that commitment to myself to do that six days a week. And there was a lot of times where I would, I would walk through the door, half-ass a workout, and then I'm out the door. Like, I just didn't feel like doing it, but I kept that commitment to myself. And what that did was that started building my personal integrity. And what I mean by personal integrity is I was keeping the promises I'm making to myself. I'm getting up at 530. I'm getting dressed and I'm going to the gym before work and I'm doing it. No excuses, no if, ands, or buts about it. Like you're going to get this done. And slowly what that did was it started giving me a little bit of confidence in myself. Personal integrity is huge for confidence. I know confidence is one of your biggest talking points that you always preach on. And for me, my personal experience was I had to prove to myself that I do what I'm saying I'm going to do. And that's what gave me confidence. And then from there, I just kind of started stepping up. Okay. Now you're going to the gym and you're actually working out now. Now let's start eating a little healthier because my diet was crap at the time. Now I'll start eating a little healthier. Okay. Now while we're driving to the gym, let's listen to something positive. So within the course of a couple of months, I'm working out, eating healthy and working on my mental diet too. And it's just, it takes that just, it's just confidence stacking. I'm going to get a little better. Okay, I've got that. I'm going to get a little bit better. And it's keeping those promises you make to yourself that are so hard. I mean, you, you'll keep the promise you make to your girlfriend, your best friend, but you won't keep the promises you make to yourself. And I think that's where a lot of times our confidence really gets shot is we make these promises and we know we're not going to fulfill them. So, of course, we're going to start doubting ourselves and having a lower self-worth and not believing in our own ability. Um, so that's what it took for me, man. It just took for me just keeping those promises I started making myself. And I started out so freaking small, just on your way to work, stop by the gym. That's all you got to do. Actually, there's so much in there of concepts 
that I see time and time again in the people who have got their life under control. There's like what people call the 1% rule, just these tiny little upgrades. Kaizen. Yes. Yeah, Kaizen, exactly. Um, but what I want to focus on is the point you're making about broken promises. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I learned something, I, I work with a lot of people with panic disorders and stuff. And one of the things that, that blows my mind is that your brain in its search for what is true, what is evidence, it actually looks at your own behavior and measures that as a form of evidence. What you do yep. tells your brain what's real. So if you run away from something, your brain goes, that thing must be dangerous, whether or not it's actually dangerous. Right? True. So if I run away from strangers, I'll become very shy as if strangers are actually dangerous because my brain takes me running away as evidence. Yep. Breaking promises to yourself. I think the great way you put it, like you keep the promise to the girlfriend or the friends, but break the promise to yourself. Straight away, there's a hierarchy being formed. I'm less important than others. I'm less worthwhile. I'm less in need of, of commitment. Put everyone else first and not yourself. Exactly. And then imagine how you'd feel if you're in a relationship with someone who kept breaking promises and being disrespectful of you. And that's what you're doing in a relationship with that person, except the person is you. 100%. 100%. I actually tell my clients that. I'm like, you need to go date yourself for a little while. Right, yeah. Go date yourself before you need to get back into another relationship. Yeah, I, it's, a, it's a point a lot of people don't like to swallow, which is you know, no. do not bring someone else into your life until you love it. You know, do not, yep. do not put someone else through the drama you're putting yourself through. <laughs> you know, it's not fair to them. You get no. those guys like, I always get into clashes with guys in like the red pill community and stuff. And they're always blaming women for all their relationship problems. I'm like, dude, I wouldn't <laughs> recommend someone date you. <laughs> You know, like get your shit sorted where you're actually, you would recommend you to somebody, you know, and that's so, yeah, that's on that point. Mm. Um, you know, Rob Dyrdek, ridiculousness, um, skateboard guy, fun fantasy factory, that guy. So actually I learned this from him. He's incredibly brilliant. He doesn't like come off that way, but like behind the scenes, the dude's just ridiculously smart. Um, but when he was becoming, successful and he had two mtv shows he had his brand he was just blowing up he was single and his friends used to always ask him like hey rob why are you single bro like you're a good looking guy you're hilarious and you're freaking loaded like you have all of the things the resume builders that of course would bring supermodels or whatever you want to date why are you single and he said this, and this statement stuck with me. And it's actually what I did for myself. He said, I'm in the process of becoming the man my future wife deserves me to be. I was like, damn. Oh, I see. And that like, that just like, like that makes so much sense. Um, so, you know, a lot of times that's what I'm doing. I'm becoming the man that my future business needs me to be. My future wife needs me to be like, I'm becoming the man my future deserves me to be. And it's just a different way of looking at it. Um, but I, I love that perspective that he gave on that. Yeah, I've heard that from a couple of people. Um, Neil Strauss says, like, instead of trying to find someone of value, become someone of value. And somebody, who was it? God, it might even be someone like Oprah or something, said, would you hope that your daughter finds someone like you? <laughs> I'm like, hoo, hoo, that's a good question. Definitely not me of 10 years ago. Exactly, right? Like, I, I had a sort of perverse kind of entitled arrogance when I was a people pleaser. It was a, it was a kind of paradox where I kind of loathed myself, but also had a superiority complex where I thought I was mm. better than other people because I was a pleaser. Okay. Yeah. So it was always just this weird kind of dichotomy. Um, but if you'd asked me, would you recommend your own da- daughter date someone like you? I'd go, oh, fuck, I stay away from someone like me. I'm a mess. <laughs> right? like, like, I, yep. I'm just a bag of issues. You do not want to bring that into someone's life if you care about them. So that's interesting. I, I want to really hone in that first point. If someone is breaking commitments to themselves, every time they pass up on a healthy meal or they don't go to the gym like they promised, it seems like nothing on paper, but it's actually a huge act of disrespect. Huge. What else? What other factors? So you start confidence stacking as you put it. You're, you're putting these habits. You're finally keeping promises to yourself, treating yourself like someone who's actually worth keeping promises to. 
How did it build from there? What else have you learned? The importance of your mental diet. Um, I've always kind of cling towards personal growth because of my kind of feelings of unworthiness. I've always kind of seeked the motivation side of personal growth, but I didn't understand real personal growth um, as far as my mental diet goes. And like, you know, literally just like your physical body, you are what you eat. Your mental diet's the same exact way. I mean, what's coming out of your mouth is what you're putting into your ears. And it was literally, I had to, change everything about my mental diet quit listening to sad songs i mean i i heard some research uh, about a month ago talking about how country music is used in torture because it literally down regulates your entire body because it's so sad depressing um so <laughs> oh no wow. I, I love that fact <laughs> i love that um so it's it's a it's so much about your mental diet and part of your mental diet is really what follows the words I am in your head. So what are you saying to yourself? Are you talking to yourself more than you're listening to yourself? There's so much about your mental diet that I think is probably more important than your physical diet, because if your mental diet's in check, the physical diet will follow. Um, so I started listening to things and part of my mental diet was I had to really gain self-awareness. So I don't know if I ever told you a story, but when I was, when I first sat down to write The Struggle is Real, the first chapter is my story. And then the rest of the chapter is all the ways to mentally overcome a health transformation. So this is so sad when I say this, um, but it's true. And I bet you a lot of guys are in the same boat. When I sat down to write the story of my life, it was literally like a one-page bulleted list. Like I bulled my entire 20, let's see at the time, 29 years of my life to one page. And I'm looking at this page like, man, this is sad. Like that's real, your life is a page? Come on. Um, and during the book writing process, I, of course, people pleasing, think about everybody else but myself. Um, I started interviewing people. Hey, what did your transformation look like? What were you going through when you were doing this? And I got really good at asking questions. And I had to then turn those questions on myself. And that for me led me into um, really my journey of personal awareness. Um, still to this day, my favorite question is why? Mm -hmm. Um, and I started having to ask myself, well, why'd you do that? Why were you thinking that? Why were you feeling that? Like, where did that come from? And like really going down that rabbit hole to understand, you know, the things that were put into my mental diet early on that led me to a really, really crappy story of who I was and a story, the crappy story of who I was telling myself I was. Um, so I kind of had to eliminate that part of my diet um, before I can start putting the good stuff back in. Because if you're constantly repeating this negative story about who you are, it's really hard to start adding good stuff into it. You have to say, okay, yeah, I went through that, but that's the past me. I'm now going to start course correcting with a more positive mental diet moving forward. This brings up, Actually, uh, the segue is nice to a little story about myself this morning because I love to talk about mm -hmm. myself, of course. But actually, it, it raises a question because I'm going to ask you in a minute how you actually uh, break that pattern of sort of negative storytelling about yourself. I, I noticed myself doing something this morning. So if you want to catch me at a bad time, catch me right at the start of the day before I've done my morning routine and give me some bad news when I'm half asleep. Like that's mm -hmm. where you'll get the worst out of me, right? So that happened this morning. It wasn't actually a big deal. It was just uh, something that upsets my calendar and requires a lot of hassle. I, I get it. I totally get what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've, I've been picking up on something I've been doing the last couple of years. Uh, and it's something I think it's called pain shopping. Brene Brown came up with that term, which is once you get into like a stressful state, you actually work hard to make it worse. You put this effort in 
and a lot of people like they don't want to see themselves do it but you know you're you're hunting for things that piss you off you're hunting for reasons why this is harder you extrapolate out from what's happening to come up with catastrophes and i caught myself doing it this morning i was like trying my best to make as big a deal about this as i possibly could and i did what like you said i just said why why am i doing that who you know what is it okay bono like who benefits from this who benefits right. from me like digging this grave as deep as it can possibly go which brings me to my question there are people out there i've met plenty of them i've had plenty of time myself being this guy who gets rationally you've got to change that story about yourself the way you talk to yourself has to improve and yet it's like a compulsion they even work hard to be as negative and as pessimistic about themselves as they possibly can. And as you said, like, it's really hard to jam in positive stuff. It just seems to be like a lie compared to all the negativity. What are your thoughts on how to actually really break out of that? So when you think about the actual neuro makeup of your brain, the your old patterns are what's comfortable. And the way I kind of show people this and the way I talk to them about it is if you're skiing down a mountain and you take the same path every time well the first time you take that path you're in powder snow it's really soft and it's really hard to ski on but the more time you ski down that same path the more that snow is going to come packed down and you're going to fly down like grease lightning so that becomes very natural and your brain's primary job is to conserve energy so it wants to go down those natural paths that's why our, our old negative stories are so hard to break because your brain literally from a physical level wants to conserve energy and go back to its comfort zone. So when you try to get off of that hard path and go back in the fresh powder snow, the brain doesn't like it because now I'm having to work hard again. I want to go back to that easy path. You know, you, walking down the beach is the same way. It's so much easier to walk in hard compacted sand than it is powder sand. But we have to keep pushing the brain, say, no, I need to go down this path. No, we're going down this path. And actually, because of everything that's going on in the world right now, um, I just finished doing a um, seven-day mental cleanse um, online with people. And step number one, of course, is I think a lot of people, for myself included, we struggle with awareness when we start going down that spiral. We don't catch ourselves in the early point of it. We wait until two days later and we wake up and like, God, that was terrible. Um, I had a client one time, she would get in these negative head spaces so bad and she was an emotional eater that only once she had binged on food did she snap out of it and realize how bad things were. Like she didn't even know what she was doing until it was done. Um, so step one is of course awareness. Step two, is you've got to find a way to get the car like back to neutral. You know, I think about it like this, a negative story is a car being in reverse. You can't just go from reverse to forward. You're going to throw out the damn transmission. You've got to come back to neutral, back to center before you can start moving forward. And my favorite ways to come back to center is of course, step number one, awareness. You can't solve a problem until you first admit you have a problem. So let's actually call it out and be aware of it. And then my next step after I do that is I immediately grab control of my breath. You know, for me, breath is huge um, as far as changing my physiological state. Because when I get in that negative mindset, of course, my heart starts racing, my parasympathetic goes fight or flight, and I'm just freaking out. So I consciously go to box breathing, slow down my breath, and then I get back to gratitude as fast as possible. And I almost have to, I'm not going to say force, but kind of force the gratitude in there. Because let's be honest, when you're pissed off, the last thing you want to do is be full of gratitude. Like you don't want to hear anything happy, positive when you're pissed off the world. That's just not natural. Um, so it's awareness. It's getting back to center through breath and gratitude for me. And then one of the biggest things I do is, and for myself, what I had to do is I had to start separating fact from fiction okay, is this just a bullshit story you're telling yourself or is this actual truth and reality? Um, and then from there, I have a very simple thought, an anchor thought that I use is what's the smallest thing I can do right now to improve my situation? 
that little fault right there, that one line has helped me out of so much crap in my life. Like when I get really stressed out, I'm like, okay, what's the smallest thing I can do right now to help myself? If it's making a phone call, if it's going for five minutes, going listening to a song, like whatever it is, what's the smallest thing I can do right now to course correct this ship? I gotta say that is exactly what I did this morning, basically. But I, I, I mean, I won't say I did it flawlessly, but they were like, oh, so I'll take you through what I did. And you can see those key elements that you described coming up. So the very first thing was like, I sort of jumped up and went to go and solve this problem. And <laughs> yes. that's not the same as what's the little thing I can do to cause correct. This is the raging dig the hole, <laughs> show yeah. everybody how bad this right. is and how hard you have to work at it and so on. But I, I have I have something kind of arranged with my wife. She knows when I'm getting like this, and I've asked her to like hold me to account and be like my warning signal. And she just says you're getting stressed, which always makes me more stressed. But more it's stressed. part of the yep. it's the thing I've asked her to do because if she says it, it's true, you know. Mm -hmm. Um. So what I did is I just slowed right down, and this is where you might call the breathing. I did meditation. I had a cold shower, and um, then we went for a walk. It, which was all the opposite of what I wanted to do. I wanted to urgently solve the problem. Instead, I'm like taking my time and chilling. And it's a right. kind of resistance. But it was the neutralizing. I was like, I've got to, I'm fucking hoofing along in reverse <clears> here. Like, i just got to get this car to stop first before I go anywhere because I know where this is going. Yeah. Um, and as we went for a walk, there was, I think, what you call gratitude combined with what you were talking about, finding fact from fiction. I did mm -hmm. a kind of simultaneous thing, which was how bad is this really? Right. And the answer was, um, fucking not at all. Really? <laughs> like this, I've, I've handled far worse than this and no one's dying. A, We're yeah, going to be okay. Unless something extra, like a comet hitting my house happens. This is just going to be a blip in my memory one day. It's going to be nothing. Yep. And that's a form of gratitude as well, realizing, you know, mm -hmm. my problems aren't really problems. They're, it's not so bad. They're first world problems. I'm all right. But yeah, as we we're walking, I also said to her, I'm doing that thing. I'm pain shopping. I'm trying to like make this worse and I don't know, yeah. try and get sympathy for how hard my life is or something. And when I called myself <laughs> out and it sounds pathetic, you know, it's hard because your ego is like, you're a confidence coach. I'm like, nah, but I have my bad days. So, right. You know, um, but it was interesting the way you just, you just gave a blueprint <clears throat> for something that actually took me about an hour, but could have been done a lot quicker if I had been a lot more conscious of that kind of step-by-step -step process. Well, and that, that's the thing about it is I gave you the perfect world step-by-step, -step, but sometimes you got to go step one, two, one, two, three, two, three, four. Like that's how it works a lot of times. Um, and because here's what it is. I mean, basically, and this is what I, I try to get people to separate is when you get in those states, like you immediately wanted to, you got, got emotional. And by getting emotional, we tap into our subconscious brain. We're just, it just acts. It's that primal instinct we have to just go fight, to go hunt. Like that's our primal instinct, especially as men, when something bad happens, we charge. And that's our emotional reaction to it. So that's why everything you just talked about, you know, even the hermesis through the cold shower, it lowers those stress levels, gets you more into a logical state of mind versus a emotional state of mind. And you're actually able to think through the problem and realize, huh, it's not too, not too bad. If I just do this, this, and this, then cool, we're good. Um, but you can't think like that if you're in that emotionally charged subconscious just raging fight mode, you have to calm it back down um, and actually think through the problem because you and I both know a lot of times if we charge into a problem, we're going to make it worse. You know, we're not, we're not really going to solve the problem, but if we can just take a step back, address the issue and like actually think through it and then move forward, now we can solve it and work smarter, not harder. That's, that's exactly what's been, I think, one of the hardest lessons for me over the last couple of years is the more urgent something feels the more important it is that I don't act urgently. Mm -hmm. You know, it's this really counterintuitive thing. If something feels like, fuck, do it now. Yeah. I really have to slow down because if I act on that, I am definitely going to double whatever it is. I am just right. 
even if I solve it, I'm going to be wrecked for the rest of the day by the emotional <laughs> output of it. Um, and how often are you actually looking down the barrel of a gun? Like nothing is really urgent. It's all just an illusion, right? Absolutely. You know, there's a, there's a kind of theme coming through, which is a theme, you know, I've seen from you over the years. I'd say it kind of comes under the word physiology. This kind of connection between mind and body. And mm -hmm. as you said, like you can't solve problems in that state. You have to get to the other state first. And we're talking about being reactive. What I'm really interested in is preventative. So talk about sort of biohacking or managing your physiology for confidence to mm -hmm. help you help yourself kind of thing. What comes to mind for you in terms of top tips? Like how do you make it so that you don't have to be reactive? How can you get on top of this shit? So you kind of brought it up with the cold shower. Um, it's that hermesis or trial by fire. Um, you see a lot of martial arts guys talking about it all the time. It's the more you can expose yourself to it, the less it is. Um, so playing American football, there's a reason during the five days leading up to the game, you run those plays hundreds of times. It's because when you do get in those stressful situations, you've done it so many damn times that it's just second nature. Like you're not having to freak out about it because you've done it. So, you know, a lot of people ask me, how'd I go from shy introvert to being able to speak on stage? Well, I started out doing, I started out like I literally looked today, I think Snapchat when it first came out, I was like one of the first users on it. And I started recording 15 second videos and I started getting used to those. And then I'm doing 30 seconds a minute. And I just kind of slowly started adapting to that change. And I'm just, I'm a huge believer in what you talked about, that 1% improvement, that Kaizen method of just do a little bit. Okay, you got that? Now let's do a little bit more. Um, let's just focus on that constant baby step improvements. Like when I do health coaching, um, one of the first lessons I teach people is not eat this, not that, not exercise. Like, hey, look, just sit down, put your fork down between every bite. That's all I want you to do. And what that does is it trains that person to now eat slowly. Um, so they're kind of changing the way they look at food and it changes the speed at which they eat and stuff like that. So it's just by making these little small adjustments. And one of my favorite sayings is do, learn, repeat. So take an action, learn from that action, repeat the process. And I think that's really all life is, is do learn repeat but a problem is we i look i'm the worst at this is paralysis by analysis i overthink everything to the point where i just don't take action um so like my coach in my life like that's probably the biggest thing he's gotten out of me is look you can overanalyze it after you do it but you're going to do it and just taking those actions and like of course don't do anything stupid don't take drastic actions like think through it but you've got to take the action like the whole mel robbins countdown blast off like that i think that's amazing um i don't personally use it i i try to just act um but i think it's a powerful tool um so i think it's that man i think it's just the confidence you get from building those small little bitty habits um and by gaining a little bit of confidence in yourself you gain confidence to do more and then you okay i did that now let me push it a little bit further um, and it's that seeker mentality, that personal growth mindset where you're always trying to get better, um, always trying to learn more, do more, that I think is what guys like me and you feed off of. I mean, I, I literally, I love criticism now. I, I used to hate it. It used to freaking destroy me and my fragile little ego. But now, like, I look for criticism because, like, oh, oh, I did that? Oh, that means I can get better at it. Cool, thanks. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's just by starting small and then building and just gradually building over time. And it's amazing what happens, you know, that Kaizen approach 1%, if you're 1% better for 30 days, that's a 30% improvement in a month. That's crazy. I've got one of my clients right now. I literally have her on her Apple watch for 60 days. Now she's been burning one more calorie than she did the day before. That's all I want to focus on. I said, as soon as you hit that calorie mark, stop. And it's been crazy to see how many more calories she's burning in a day now. 
and it wasn't drastic. It wasn't life changing, but it is life changing. You know, it wasn't something really outside of her comfort zone. It was just one freaking calorie a day. But you do that over the course of 60 days. Now, from here on out, you're burning 60 more calories a day in your workouts. That's huge. Um, so it's, I think that's just kind of a perfect example of what it really takes to create change and start be believing in yourself and creating confidence is just making that little one calorie change. You're speaking my language, man. Um, you know, I talk about how seeking discomfort is one of the key pillars of confidence. You know, there's three mm -hmm. or four main pillars and that's one of them. And yeah, it's 1% discomfort. It doesn't have to be a huge amount. Right. It just means yeah. you hit that line that you get up to usually and you just cross the line. That's it. You don't have to become the next Arnie or whatever. You just this extra thing. Like I'm learning how to do handstands at the moment and okay. I'm learning slowly. I'll put it that way. I was, yeah. you know, exhausted by the training when I first got started. Now it's like <laughs> technique. But every time I go to train, I'm just like, I get to the point where I'm, I want to stop and I'm comfortable and I go, well, what's one more thing that I'm a little bit like about doing. And that's it. That's it. It doesn't have to go well. I don't have to, you know, whatever it could be holding a headstand for five more seconds. And I feel like holding, it doesn't matter. Cause I know it all adds up. There's like a compound interest. You know, I think the 100%. calorie thing was a great way of measuring it. Anything quantifiable is great because she's not actually going up one calorie a day. By day two, she's now up two calories. Then she's up three per day. Per and now day. she's doing 60 extra per day. So it's 123, right. whatever. You know, it just goes up and goes up. To her, it just feels like one little extra bit a day. That's all it feels yeah. like. That's all it's needed. Exactly. You know? Right. That's what I love is, you, you know, people talk about confidence as some esoteric philosophical thing, but you really <clears throat> approach it quite practically. It's about managing your behavior and then the, the mindset will actually follow that. And this is a key point you brought up as well. You don't think about the thing before you do it. You think about it after you're allowed to overthink about it. As long as you've got something measurable to overthink about, you can't overthink about the fantasy of doing it because <laughs> right. that's just a nightmare, right? That's little switch. Do first, I say, uh, make a mess and then clean it up. Mm -hmm. so just a little thing that this switch and priority life changing right. it is and that's the thing everything you talked about somebody could easily listen to you and just write down this list of just these little principles you've got the kaizen principle you've got the discomfort principle you've got just these little experiments these commitments to yourself that you keep and so on all of that is like a recipe if you follow it, you can't not get more confident. It's, you don't even have a choice, really. That's what I love right. about that. Awesome stuff, man. And moving on to, to kind of your work, tell us a bit more about specifically, you know, what it is you're helping with people these days, who you're working with, and if anyone listening is interested in working with you, you know, uh, what they should do about that. Yeah, so, I mean, I still have um, some professional athletes I'm working with. Um, entrepreneurs, CEOs, executive types. And for me, I think the biggest word that I'm hearing so much of right now is stuck. Whether it's I've done so much now, I'm, now I feel stuck or I'm just in a rut and I feel stuck. Like I'm hearing that so much. And it's like, it's almost becoming like I laugh about it when I hear it now because I'm hearing it so much. And it might just be my reticular activation system activated and seeking it out. Um, but I, I do feel like a lot of people just that in their head, they think they're stuck and they don't know how to, like we talked about earlier, close that gap between where they're at and where they want to be. So what I do with people is I'm completely obsessed with the hero's journey. Um, hero of a thousand faces, Joseph Campbell. That's actually like what I teach on stage. Um, and I'm obsessed with that because I believe there's so much power in taking control and writing your own story, like actually thinking that way and consciously being aware of, hold on, I'm, I'm, I'm writing my movie right now. Like I'm picking my supporting cast. I'm picking my scene. I'm picking my film score. I'm picking everything about them, picking the dialogue. Like I'm literally building this movie of my life 
And I think what it does is it gives people their power back because so many times people feel stuck for a couple of reasons. One, they, they don't have clarity a lot of times of where they want to go. But a lot of times people feel stuck because they don't believe in themselves enough. They don't believe they have the power to get to that next level. They don't believe they have the ability, the worth, whatever it is, whatever excuse they're giving themselves. Um, but by actually looking at their life as that movie and writing that script, I think it gives them their power back. Um, I'm a huge fan of reverse engineering goals of saying, okay, this is where you want to be. Well, let's back that down to today. What's the smallest thing we can do today to get you to that goal? Um, and I, I think my biggest pet peeve, um, the clients that I've fired the most would be the people who want it, but aren't willing to work for it. Um, the people who tell me, Hey Robbie, I want this out of my life. Well, cool. If you want this, this is what you got to do. And they're like, no, I don't, I'm not doing that. I'm like, okay, well go find somebody who will drag that anchor through life. I'm not going to. Um, but man, I, I love working with just motivated people who know they're meant for more. They know there's this destiny, this light on their life and they just need help closing that gap. I need clarity in my direction. Um, I need accountability. I mean, geez, I need accountability in my life. So it's, yeah, it's closing that gap and helping people kind of unstuck themselves is the terminology that I've been using lately. And a lot of times that happens just because of a story we're telling ourselves. And I'm, the more I, I do work in this field, Dan, the more that I realize that we are nothing more than story. You know, we're either product of our past story or writing our future story, or we have a story that's keeping us in place when we should be telling ourselves a different story. Like it's that story you tell yourself in your brain that drives perspective, that drives performance, which equals the results of your life. Um, so that's, that's who I'm working with right now. I'm doing some business consulting, like I said, um, kind of teaching these philosophies inside of business. I'm working in a couple of schools right now, teaching this to teachers so they can teach it to their kids, which has been a lot of fun. Um, kind of learning, because I've never worked with like little kids. I've always worked with teenagers and up. So now I'm like in an elementary school trying to figure out my, you know, way out there thinking of how to translate that to a six-year-old. Um, so that's been a challenge for me that I've loved. But yeah, the best way to contact me, um, of course, is social media at Robbie D'Angelo on all the socials. Um, website, RobbieD'Angelo.com. Keep everything really simple. But yeah, guys, I, I love interacting with people. Um, I'm actually putting out that seven-day mental cleanse um, that I did Facebook in my, my private Facebook group. Um, I'm putting on Instagram kind of every other day right now. So I think the first three days are up. Um, so I'm, I'm still putting out a ton of content. Um, going to be putting out a video here pretty soon, locus of control, like what we actually can't control versus not. So, I mean, I'm, I'm like you, damn it. I love serving. I love helping people. I love putting good out in the world and any way I can do that. Um, I'm all about it. And that's why, you know, me and you've kept in touch. Um, just cause I, I love following what you do. I love your posts about confidence um, because confidence was such a big factor in my life growing up. I mean, I just, I just didn't have confidence. I mean, let's be honest, Dan, like I, I still have a kind of a reaction when I go approach a girl cause I'm single. Um, I'm like, man, she's hot. Never mind. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I still start like that. That story will come up in my head of like, Hey bro, you're not good enough for that. Like don't go approach her. So like, I love your content about like confidence and just owning your shit. Um, I think that's so much of it. So yeah, man, that, that's where I'm at. That's what I'm doing. Um, I'd love to collab with um, you guys more and uh, any, any way I can help, man, definitely let me know. Yeah. We, uh, we see eye to eye on, on all the key principles, I think. And um, you know, this is why I love interviewing people like yourself or like us is we all on our own, we all went on this thing and it was just a matter of kind of deductive reasoning. This works, that doesn't, and just keep doing that. And we've all mm -hmm. ended up coming to the same conclusions <laughs> about these basic principles, you know? Right. Nobody's doing it in a weird way that doesn't make sense to me. Everybody's no. doing it this way. The, the things we talked about today, and of course, even getting to the point where once you kind of figure it out, you're like, I've got to share this. Like, I've found the thing... And it's like a universal truth I've found. I haven't made something up. I've discovered it. No, and I want other people not. to know about it because they're suffering. And it just kind of validates in my mind that 
for all of us to be on our separate journeys, not know each other or anything, and then come together and go, oh, yeah, that's what I did too. Yeah, that's what I did too. Yeah, that's what I think. It tells me we've discovered something that's underlying, something that's true already and just needs to be found. It's not something we're making up. And what I love uh, in particular about you, I mean, there's something about the physicality of someone losing weight. You can't, to lose it and keep it off. You can't fake that's the hard part. that. You know, you that's have the to, hard part. yeah, you have to have your principles right to be able to maintain, you know, yeah, you can go get like a gastric band or you can just go on a binge like crazy diet and drop weight. But if you don't have the psychology sorted, you'll be back because in the so actually, I was contracted out by a bariatric surgery center. I would have to go talk to their patients because they're all gaining their weight back. Mm. And I tell people all the time, the physical weight loss was cool, but I didn't change my life because I went on the mental weight loss. Like that's really where things changed. And you're right. I, I coach so many people ask me all the time, like, how do you lose the weight? I'm like, well, you got to change your mind first. You've got to actually make the mental weight loss happen first before the physical will follow. Absolutely. But that's for me, that's your kind of, that's your indisputable fact. You must have figured something out. It's, you can see it literally. Um, it's, it's almost something like, ah, I carried a little bit of extra weight and <laughs> certain things like you, you can't see as much with, with what I've changed unless you watch my behavior over a large, a large long period of time, perhaps. But yeah, I absolutely endorse anybody listening to this um, to check you out. I, I consider you to be the real deal and um, I would have no problem recommending you to, to people, um, as you say, to get unstuck because unstuck is, it's about a story. There's a story that you're stuck. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you as well. I was about to say, um, the more I study, especially studying philosophy, mm-hmm. uh, stoicism, Taoism, the more I realize that we're, we're just stories, we're just narratives, and those narratives are absolutely being written, which means you can write whatever you like. 100%, you can write a man. better one. You just have to first admit that that's the cause of everything. All your pain is your story that you wrote. That, um, that's why I, I go back to your ability to change your life is in direct, direct proportion to how much you control your free will. Yeah. Because free will is you writing your story versus not having free will, just being a victim of the story. That's a key point, actually, that when we say writing, what we're really saying is acting. You behave a story. The, the, mm-hmm. the story is, it's like a narrative as if someone else is watching you act and coming up with a story based on what they're seeing. So if right. they see you treat yourself like crap, then the story is, I'm a loser. It must be. Look at their behavior, right? But if you see you holding commitments to yourself, working on pushing yourself a little bit every day, even if nobody else is impressed, you know, that's the story of someone who's actually, you know, they're doing the work. It's a story of someone who's going somewhere. The progress is measurable and so on. Yeah. The story's nonfiction. You can't fake the story. No, this is actually, this (laughs) is one of the, the final points I want to validate. And some schools of thought, self-acceptance is just this thing that you're supposed to arrive at no matter what you do you're just supposed to love yourself as you are and that's always rubbed me the wrong way i'm like no no you have to earn it you can't tell yourself i'm good enough the way i am when you know it's not true when you know that this isn't about even a comparison to other people other people's judgments by your Mm. own standards you are letting yourself down you're breaching your own values you're not holding yourself to account to a code of honor that you know exists. So if you're not living by that, if you're not writing the story as best you can, and of course you have to work out that limit, then no, you don't deserve to accept yourself. Why would you? You wouldn't tolerate that from somebody else. Someone else treated you like shit. You wouldn't be like, no, that's the best I expect from you. You know, I have a hard time. One of the biggest things that internally I have a hard time with is an, I'll probably step on some toes here, but it's okay. Um, People who are obese and they say, like, I really love the way I look. I have a hard time with that Um, just because I I guess I've been there. And no matter how much I try to tell myself I'm okay, 
I never was. And I, I think that a lot of times I do believe like you have to be proud of who you are and where you are, but never satisfied. And you can be proud of the things you're doing. And when I say proud, I don't mean just accepting life the way it is. Proud is in like, I'm working. I may not have the result I want, but I'm working on it. You know, that's what I mean by proud. Proud is not something you're just, you get when you're born. Like that's just not how it works. Proud is something you earn. Like you said, um, when I, I tell people all the time, like the way I judge my day is not in any other metrics, but when I lay my head on my pillow every night, how freaking exhausted I am. Did I give today my freaking all? Like right now for me, it's 11, 11 p.m. I've been up since 6 a.m. working. Um, I actually, about an hour before this call started, finished teaching a kickboxing class. Um, so I'm, I'm exhausted. So I know like tonight when I go to sleep, I'm going to be good. Like I'm going to sleep like a freaking baby. And that to me is almost my definition of success right now that I'm giving my life, all areas of my life, everything I have. Um, and that's what you can be proud of. But at the same time, you're proud of that, but never satisfied. You know, I, I want to get better. Yeah. I worked hard today, but what processes can I work on to make myself better for tomorrow? What's that 1% improvement I can make? So tomorrow I'm working smarter, not as hard. Um, so it's, it's, it's living in that duality of being, being in gratitude, being proud of what you've done and who you are, but also wanting to get better, wanting to achieve more, help more, and do more for other people. Um, I tell people all the time, I firmly in my heart believe that the purpose, because everybody always asks, like, what's, the, what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose? Um, I believe the purpose and the meaning is to learn our own medicine so we can heal others. I truly believe like that's why we're put on this earth. And we're going to go down different roads and take different paths to get there. But everyone's going to go through shit. And you then have the choice to learn from them and get better or continue living in shit. But I think we, we learn from that and we heal ourselves in that process so that we, we then can pass that lesson on to other people and hopefully help other people not go through the shit we just went through. Absolutely. You know, that description you used like of the, say the obese person, I have no problem with an obese person being proud of themselves no. as long as it's not the body they're proud of. It's the effort they put in their day that they're proud of that. Exactly. Absolutely. You don't need to be skinny for, for me to agree that you've lived in your life. Well, you just have to put the effort in that, you know, you should be. Only you know that. Right. I can't even tell you what that effort is, but you do. You know it. Right. You know when you did it. You know when you didn't. Um, I, I sometimes have a similar conflict with self-sacrifices. Self-sacrifice was my version of binge eating. I binged on sacrificing myself for others to make them think, mm -hmm. oh, God, he's such a good guy, blah, blah, blah. And I, I clash with people all the time. I'm proud of being self-sacrificed. I'll do anything for other people. I think that's a good way to be. I'm like, yeah, that is a comfortable, familiar way, easy way for you to be. Don't don't yeah. expect me to to pat you on the back for being that way. You're proud of just taking the easy way out. You just think it's hard, but it's not. The hard way for, would be for you to respect yourself, and you know it. Mm -hmm. So you can't you can't pull that one on me. You know, like like you said, you've you've been obese. I've been the self sacrifice. I know why we're really doing it. I know what's yeah. happening under the scenes. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I struggle with that too. And here was my paradigm shift with that was my entire life, people pleasing, doing things for everybody else, not myself. And I was helping the quantity doing that. But it wasn't until I started pouring from an overflowing cup that I was actually able to really help people. Like I was just kind of surface help. I'd help you move or I'd help you clean shit up. Or I just do like surface and I was helping everyone. But it wasn't until I helped myself so I could then give from the overflow that I actually started helping people in quality and creating real change in people's lives and really affecting people and really helping people was I had to help myself first and then give from the overflow instead of like, I'm sure you probably felt this way too. You give to everyone else to the point where you're just exhausted and you're not giving them your best self. 
you're giving them like the one quarter version of yourself because you're so damn exhausted all the time. Where if you would, instead of showing up for 20 people, show up for five people, but with everything you got, you're going to impact those five lives so much more than the combination of those 20 lives you half asked. I couldn't have put it better. That's exactly what I believe. You know, uh, I often use the metaphor of when the oxygen masks come down in the plane. Got to put yours on first. Yeah. And, and self-sacrifice to say, no, you've got to put on other people's first. I'm like, you're a yep. suffocating person, smothering them with your help. That's not pleasing. <laughs> you know, you get your mask on, you could save the whole plane. You got to get your mask on first. Um, awesome. We'll, we'll wrap it up there for today, bro. I really appreciate you taking the time, staying up late and exhausting yourself. But of course you get your own pleasure from that. So, Oh, absolutely. I do. You've earned it for today. I'll validate that. And, um, yeah, you and I see eye to eye on all the key things, man. So it was great talking to you and I look forward to another one soon. Dan, it's been a pleasure, man. It's always a pleasure talking to you, man. You're such a great guy. I love your content. I'm going to keep, keep watching it, keep enjoying it. Um, it's, it's helped me gave, given me some different perspectives on things. So keep doing what you do, man. You're a rock star and I enjoy it. Right back at you, Brian.